Uh, Stu, uh, what did you think the highlight of today's game was? Well, Glenn, I thought the highlight of today's uh, game was the weigh-in, and we both weighed in too heavy to host the show today. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was shocked at your weight, quite yeah, honestly. Yeah, no, I know. And, uh, and I disturbing. said, neither of us can fight at this weight. No. Uh, because... There's an upper limit for, even for heavyweights. Right. right. And so we both just uh, sat on the sidelines and uh, ate ice cream. <laughs> and it was good. It was yeah. a good show. Mm-hmm. Pat brought some cookies. There's <laughs> uh, one you don't want to miss. Now, a lot of great stuff on today's show that you don't want to miss. Uh, John Solomon... Also, Tulsi Gabbard talks about her leaving the Democratic Party, which was a surprise to me. She told me, you know, at the NRA, now I want to change it from the inside. And I was like, uh, <laughs> right. uh, but she's left in a fascinating conversation with her. Yeah, not to mention, you mentioned the Don, uh, the uh, you quickly mentioned the John Solomon thing, but we should point out that uh, he uncovered the, the fact that the government was working to censor tweets from you are a super spreader apparently of misinformation <laughs> yes according yes, to these reports yes. that he unearthed including the blaze and mm-hmm. you know stephen crowder and i mean john solomon himself and yeah. his organizations just the news really remarkable details on and that. he shows what's happening it's getting worse so all that on today's program First, our sponsor, Goldline. ton of Americans still don't know it's possible to use your retirement account to acquire precious metals. You can. You're saving up for retirement. You can also be building a huge protective wall around all of that money that you have, um, you know, just in case of economic insanity. And I have news for you. The Federal Reserve lunatics are climbing up that wall right now. It's a big deal. Something Goldline can help you with right now. I've been working with Goldline for over a decade, and it's because I trust them. Uh, They do business the right way, always have. Do your own homework. I don't want you to take my word for it. Do your own homework. Call Goldline today. Tell them that I sent you from the podcast and give Goldline the code MYB, mind your business. That was on our first coins here in America. I wish we still had it. Um, but they're going to give it to you just as a thank you for uh, calling in. So their website is goldline.com, or you can call them at 866-GOLDLINE, 866-GOLDLINE. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to Stu, who is uh, celebrating uh, Columbus Day yesterday. Yes. Did you get all the smallpox blankets out to all the kids and everything? We distributed it to uh, Native American children, yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very, very good. It's very the good. charity work we do every yeah, year. Yeah, I know. There is, uh, there's a new study out, a new poll out, that shows that Columbus is actually more popular than President Biden or Kamala Harris. <laughs> pretty uh, much combined. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, which is it's pretty nice. Pretty nice. Impressive. Uh, go Columbus. All right. Um, I, I, ju- I would like to make the case that we move away from California. Okay. And, and we don't have to. I mean, sure. Maybe. Call me an extremist. It started out as a 50-star flag. I just took the steam ripper and took all of the stars off uh, for New York and California. Oh, and I'm considering other states. But um, I would like to make the case that we just ignore California from here on out. Two stories. Uh, September 30th, California Energy Commission wrote executives at five oil companies and gas companies demanding answers for sharp price increases at California gas pumps. The uh, letter accused the oil and gas companies of profiteering 
and claimed the oil industry owes California's answers for not having provided an adequate and transparent explanation for this price spike. Well, they um, uh, they answered yesterday in a letter for Valero. California is the most expensive operating environment in the country and very hostile regulatory environment for refining. California policymakers have knowingly adopted policies with the expressed intent of eliminating the refinery sector. California requires refiners to pay a very high carbon cap and tax uh, trade fees uh, and be burdened with gasoline with the cost of the low carbon fuel standards. With the backdrop of these policies, not surprisingly, they wrote, California has seen refineries completely close or shut down major units. When you shut down a refinery operation, you limit resilience of the supply chain. What? I think they were speaking slowly in this letter. <laughs> you, could, you could picture the person typing you, oh, with one finger angrily yeah, oh, on the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> you ever do this again? Moreover, California is largely isolated from fuel markets of the central and eastern U.S., and state regulations mandate a unique blend of gasoline, which makes California the most challenging market to serve. California has also imposed some of the most aggressive and thus expensive and limiting environmental regulatory requirements in the world. California policies have made it difficult to increase refining capacity and have prevented supply projects to lower operating costs of the refineries. Sincerely, Valero. Now, California, the governor, who's right on top of this stuff, he's calling for a special session to address the greed of oil companies. Gas prices are too high. Time to enact a windfall profits tax directly on oil companies that are ripping you off at the pump. And that's only going to make things better. Okay. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but 17 states have voluntarily signed up for all of California's nonsense when it comes to emissions, okay? So anything they do, 17 states, hello, Virginia, your, your uh, legislature just decided, you know what, we're going to just sign up. We no need to bring this to the people for a vote. We'll just sign up. Here, sign this. It's late at night. And they pushed it through, and now it's law. Anything that California does, you have to do too. Oh, so if California jumps off a bridge, yes, yeah, you're going to jump off the bridge too. Now, let me give you a let me give you a second story here. The Supreme Court will hear arguments over a California animal cruelty law that would raise the costs of bacon and other pork products nationwide. The case's outcome is important to the nation's twenty-six billion dollar a year pork industry. But the outcome also could limit states' abilities to pass laws with impact outside their borders. Good! If you want to do that in your state, do that in your state. I don't have to be dragged along with it. Uh, From laws aimed at combating climate change to others intended to regulate prescription drug prices. The case before the court on Tuesday... Oh, my gosh, that's today. California's Proposition 12, which voters passed in 2018. It said pork sold in the state needs to come from pigs whose mothers were raised with at least 24 square feet of space, including the ability to lie down and turn around. The rules um, that rules out confined gestation crates 
metal enclosures that are common in the pork industry. Uh, They also say the way the pork market works with cuts of meat from various producers being combined before sale, it is likely all pork would have to meet California standards regardless of where it's sold. That'll cost the industry about $350 million a year. Guess who's going to pay for it? You. Now, I am all for being decent to animals. I don't eat veal because you don't keep an animal in a crate the whole time. I, I have a problem with it. But uh, I don't eat veal. I don't impose my values on everyone else. And I'm sick and tired of California doing this to us. I am sick and tired of, oh, now I'm going to pay more for bacon. Okay. Oh, and also this involves the uh, meat industry and the egg industry. So we're going to pay more for Wow, it's almost like California doesn't want us to eat meat or use any kind of animal products. Wow, that's completely weird. Who would have seen that one coming? I can't take it anymore. Why doesn't the pork industry just say, and quite honestly, the oil industry, just go, okay, well, you're on your own. Why don't, seriously... Why don't we let California just live in its own slop? Well, Glenn, it's a big market and there's a lot of people there and they would sell a lot of pork products there and they don't want to lose that market. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm willing to have ham for dinner. I don't like ham. (laughs) I'm willing to have ham for dinner for a year. If you guys just say, you know what, rest of the country. We're tired of California. Well, this and this seems to be an issue that really is bothering big meat producers, right? Yeah. Like if this were to happen and mm-hmm. we were just to say, well, we're just going to ignore California. They're going to do what they do. What would likely occur is you'd have uh, some of those big pork manufacturers would probably, you know, try to adopt those standards because California is a big market. It's a big chunk of their yeah, business. They'd be alone, in but you have a lot of small producers who would be like, "Well, I'm not doing that. We're going to sell to Iowa and to Texas and to Florida." Sure. And so you'd wait wind up- a minute. Are you saying it'll be like a free market <laughs> right. system? Like some people would do it, whoa, some people wouldn't. Whoa, I know. But I mean, I it's interesting the way you you're talking about this because I I think I agree with you. But mm-hmm. the the wow, write this day down. I know the coverage of it sort of presenting it as the right wing position is to uh, take up this aggressive form of the commerce clause and um, and go the other way, make it so California is not able to have these standards. Uh, because it would affect the commerce of other states. Yeah, no, I don't mind if they have those standards. They can have those standards. And I have a right as a pork producer to say, not selling to California. Yeah, screw you guys. Screw you. But California does not have the right to increase the cost of my food, my cost of living. I don't, I don't want California di- dictating what I do. I don't live in California for a reason. And California is being held up as the model for all of the United States. This is what they want to do to the United States. I don't want to live there. This is in- totally intentional, too. They- they've realized they have enough economic power uh, to yes. change their standards, yes. to enforce it on everybody else. Exactly right. And with 17 states on board, no matter what they do, think of that, about that. If you live in one of these states, you don't have a representative. 
No, you, you don't, don't have. You've outsourced your entire leadership right. to Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Congratulations. We got. What's the list? You don't have the list of seventeen. I you don't. said Look Virginia's on there. Virginia's on there. Oh. Virginia's on there. I did a podcast with their attorney general, who I love. Uh, not their attorney general, their uh, lieutenant governor. And she was telling me, she said, uh, Glenn, we, we're not California. We don't have that many vehicles. We don't have, you know, it's like, I don't know, 20% of all cars in California. Some, I don't, I don't know the number. You have to look it up. But a good percentage of cars uh, on the road in California are electric. Not Virginia. And so now they have to adopt the same standards and have the electric vehicles. That's going to throw Virginians, I mean, into an absolute turmoil when this hits. Is anybody standing up about it? Anybody thinking about it? Anybody saying anything? It is time to end the madness. Pork producers, stop doing business with California. I know states make a lot of money on generating their power. What are you doing? Why? The, you are, they want you to be out of the coal business. They are working actively to put you out of business. Why would you generate any power for a, for a state that is imposing regulations on you to put you out of power? Let them feel the full weight of their decisions. Oh, gosh darn it. Oh, you don't like coal? Yeah. Okay. Off. It, it makes no sense. We are enabling them. They're out of control alcoholics, and we're serving them drinks. At some point, you got to ask, who's responsible here? I mean, I am not the person that says, hey, the bartender needs to know when somebody's drunk. But if you have somebody on the floor vomiting, and they're completely incapable of walking, and they're like, I think you do have some responsibility. It's time to let the alcoholic hit bottom. Pork producers, say enough. Anybody who's producing energy for California, what the hell is wrong with you? Somebody needs to stand up and say no to California. You have 17 states that, that have agreed to a concept where they go out to the bar with the alcoholic and yeah. match them drink for drink. Right. And, and, the, and the guy from Virginia or whatever, you know, some of these states, they're in the bar like, I don't want to be in a bar. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want another drink. Okay. What are we doing? Stop it. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Peace of mind and staying on budget. Seems like decades since that was a reality. But that feels pretty good right now, doesn't it? Because if there's one thing you can expect this year, it is the unexpected. And that's why American Home Shield exists. As a member of American Home Shield, you will know your budget, your time, and let's be honest, your sanity, all covered. Choose a plan from American Home Shield and keep your budget goals in check this year. They offer a choice of three great plans to help cover the cost of repair and replacement parts of any major home system and appliance, no matter their age. So keep your home up and running and on budget with American Home Shield. Right now, take $50 off their most comprehensive plans ever. 
Go to ahs.com slash Beck. Save 50 bucks. ahs.com slash Beck. Do it now and be sure with the shield. Service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply. See plan for details. So once in a while, in fact, almost every day, somebody comes to me and says, Hey, Glenn, we'd like to get your input on something. We'd really like you to, hey, I wrote this book. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But once in a while, there is a story that is so worth it that I um, agree to help them and bring them on the air uh, and talk about it. This is not a book. This is a story that I think fits today. And uh, this is a, a group of people that want to uh, produce this as a four-part series um, with uh, Angel Studios. Can I say that? Yeah, Angel Studios. Um, Matt Whitaker is with us. Um, he is the director and co-writer of Truth and Conviction, a story that you've been on for 20 years. Yeah, right? a little over 20 years. Yeah, And you were lucky enough to meet a lot of the people that were part of it originally. Yeah. So, yeah, just over 20 years ago, I heard about this group of these teenagers in Nazi Germany who ran a resistance group who stood up to Hitler. And I found out that the last surviving member of that group lived like about an hour away from me. So I, we literally just opened the phone book and found his name. That's crazy. <laughs> Called him up and said, hey, you know, would you share your story with us? And he was like, yeah, sure, come on up. So I went up and met this man named Karl Heinz Schnibbe, who was at that point in his late 70s, sat down, heard his story, and was just, just blown away. So tell me, this this story is about a guy named Helmuth uh, Hubner, right? Right, Helmuth Hubner. Yeah. Hubner. And... Um, and he was 16? 16 years old, 1941, at the time. He was like on the, on the Nazi party fast track. He was working at City Hall in Hamburg. He was a member of the Hitler Youth, kind of just buying into everything that Goebbels was saying on the radio. And then his brother, his older brother, who was serving in the German army in France, smuggled home a shortwave radio. And Helmut started secretly listening to that, which was a capital offense yeah, at you, the time. You, they, in fact, I showed you in my office, I have what I like to call um, Facebook of the olden days, uh, <laughs> a radio that was did, would not pick up any signal from any station other than the approved Nazi stations. And that's all you could buy and have. That's right. That's all, that's all he had access to until he starts tuning into this shortwave radio. And at the time... The BBC was broadcasting in the German language because they knew that that could get through. And, right. and uh, so Helmut, the 16-year-old kid, starts listening to these, realizes he's hearing the truth for the first time. Somehow was able to kind of discern what I'm hearing from Goebbels is not accurate. You know, it's really strange. I just had a, um, a psychology professor on uh, with me from Europe, hmm. and he wrote the um, psychology of totalitarianism. And he said, and I can't remember, do you, did you, do you remember, Sarah? He said 10 or 20 percent of the population is not susceptible to what's going on right now. You know, this mass hypnosis all over the world that is happening. He... Helmuth must have been one of those kind of people that just all of a sudden he knew it wasn't right once he was allowed to hear the truth. That, that's right. Once he once he figured out, OK, what I'm hearing from the BBC is the truth. What I've been hearing otherwise isn't. He realized that. But then what's, what's important to me is that he took the next step. He decided, I have to do something about it. 
you know. So he he picked up really the only weapon he knew how to use, and that was the typewriter. He was a brilliant writer. At 16. At 16, you know, and he started typing up these, these anti-Hitler uh, leaflets. At first, he started out even have like a little, on these little kind of quarter-sized red sheets that he would just kind of put these really concise anti-Hitler messages. Are these examples of them? So this is it. these are some some replicas that we've had done up there in English so that you can yeah, yeah, yeah. you can read it but uh, down with Hitler, people's seducer, people's corruptor, people's traitor, down with Hitler. That's a capital offense. You die for this. Yeah, that's and and that's Did he know that? Oh yeah. Yeah, he understood that. Um, now he was 16, so there must have been some, yeah, that, you know, a little bit of I'm I'm immortal, maybe mm-hmm, a little bit to that, but yeah. he was a really bright kid as well and and he knew it and I love even from this example where it says the people's seducer. If you read that in German, it's it's the Volksverführer. So he adds this little prefix of V-E-R at the front of the word Führer. So instead of saying the, the people's leader, it says the people's seducer. Just this really clever little play mm-hmm. on words. Who, uh, I, I saw that, um, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer made those same references years earlier. So there's some evidence that Helmut was even pulling from from Bonhoeffer, we know that he was weaving together other band authors like Shakespeare and mm. Schiller and uh, Heinrich Mann and these, and just kind of weaving them together in, in these, starting with these little quarter-sized sheets, but eventually at a certain point that wasn't enough. So he went to the full-size <laughs> full sheet, no margins, uh, just, just cramming as many words as he possibly could onto these leaflets. So, uh, wow, a uh, new year has begun, a year in which Hitler has set all of his, his uh, last hopes into the struggle, which is fact, it's already hopelessly lost. 1942, the year of decision, will decide decisively, we are told. It will show until now deeds still triumph over words, even when these words, one is tempted to say these dictionaries full of words spring from the mouth of a certain hair, Dr. Joseph Goebbels. So this guy, he was not, this kid was not just writing this by himself. I mean, he was writing it by himself. Right. But he was also going to church, and the church was against this. The The, the bishop of the church even had put out a... Yeah, he put a he put a sign on on the door which said, you know, Jews allowed. Right. Um, it, especially poignant because they just had one Jewish convert that attended this congregation, um, and he happened to be a good friend of Helmut's. And so that, for Helmut, was one of the last straws as well. He started finding the truth, but also when that happened, when his friend Salomon was arrested by the Gestapo and, and taken to a concentration camp, that was kind of the last straw, and he started putting out these flyers at night. And the church, like most churches, I mean, most churches in, in Germany just had gone really dark. This church was just where they... Were they actually anti-Jewish or were they trying to No, yeah. In fact, that, that was really an exception. You know, most of the other branches of this church throughout Germany, as far as we know, none of the others put that kind of a sign on the door. Yeah. It's interesting that this bishop that they had, though, he was, I've met with his sons, you know, and, and they talk about, you know, he was really a, a good man. He was also a devout Nazi. Which, so this, that's weird. Yeah. Devout Nazi, good man. Yeah. This is the kind of decisions that we are facing now when you begin to compromise what happens. That's again why I said don't compromise. We're with Matt Whitaker. He is uh, the director and co-writer of, uh, of a series called Truth and Conviction that is still on the storyboard. Um, they're going to be fundraising here uh, soon. Uh, he's with um, Angel Studios. 
And uh, it, this is a project. I, I love this story because it's about teenagers in Germany that risked their life uh, and and did make an impact. So tell me the tell me the story. So this 16 year old kid, Helmut Hubner, learns the truth, picks up the weapon he knows, which is a typewriter, starts typing up the truth on these little flyers and leaflets. At first, he's by himself going out on the streets of Hamburg at night, posting them up, extremely dangerous. But he reaches a point where that's not enough. So he recruits his two best friends from church. Jeez. And, you know, they're, he's 16, they're 17 and 15. And oh. the three of them, they actually sneak in the church and start cranking off copies on the, on the mimeograph machine and then going out. And, and just, nobody at church knows this. No, nobody at church yeah. knows this at all. And they're, and, they're, and they're posting these out for about a year. Well, of course, the Gestapo is, you know, some of them are being turned in and the Gestapo is finding these and then just seeing how dangerous they are. You know, at that point for the Gestapo, the typewriter is more dangerous than the pistol. Sure. Because they know they can take pistols away. They can take those away. Right. But what somebody believes in their mind, Correct. that's much more difficult. So they were very threatened. They were convinced that it was a university professor that was writing these, some wow. sort of communist university professor they were trying to track down. So for a year, they were relentlessly pursuing them. And one Gestapo agent in particular, uh, Agent Musner was his name, and he was just obsessed with finding out who was doing this. And so really that whole time that Helmut and his friends were putting these out, the agent is, is trying to, to, to track them down. And they operated for about a year. Um, and then before eventually he was tracked down at his work at the city hall in Hamburg um, and, uh, and was arrested. And... They arrested Helmut first. He had made a promise to his friends that, you know, if any of us get caught, don't turn in the others. And uh, he was able to keep that promise for about five days. Yeah, we have ways of making you talk. Yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what happened. I've read some of the documentation about that interrogation process uh, where they use terms like, uh, we used assiduous persuasion. <laughs> you know, mm. this, these, these euphemisms that would, that, but eventually after five days, they broke him. Um, they were first trying to get him to, to say, who's the adult behind this? Who's writing these? You know, who is that? They, they thought for sure there was somebody, this, this kid was just the paper boy, right. you know? But eventually they realized this is the kid who's been writing these. Did he admit these. that, that he, he right did. away? In fact, he admitted that right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm the one doing this. I'm doing it alone. It's just me. Um, after five days, they broke him. He gave the names of his friends. They arrested Carl and Rudy, and the three of them were also tortured and interrogated and held. And then on August 11th of 1942, so 80 years ago, this past August, they stood in the highest court in Nazi Germany, a Hitler appointed judge. And um, it was, you know, it was a kangaroo court, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, they, had, they had, had Nazi appointed uh, attorneys right. to represent them and that kind right. of a thing. But the really, for me, the most powerful part, and this will be the climax of our four part series, is when this now 17 year old Helmut Hubner stands up and decides he can see, they were gonna go after Carl, his older friend who had turned 18. So he was the adult and, uh, and, and Helmut realized that they were gonna go after him. And so- You mean he, to make him the kingpin? Yeah, that's right. And, make, and hang him out to dry. That's right, hang him out to dry. So Helmut, and Carl told me this personally, he could see it happening. He watched Helmut stand up, literally and figuratively stand up and take all of the attention on himself. And he started getting in the face of that judge and exposing the lies that the judge was telling in the court. And they have this, this interchange back and forth. And he really- Is that kind of, all documented? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, I'd love to see this. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful. But at the end, it worked. He took all the attention on himself. He was sentenced to death for his actions. His two friends were sentenced to years of hard hard labor. Um, but they they lived. And something that's really important to me is just minutes after that. And Carl tells about how they were all moved into this little cell and kind of the last few minutes together as Helmut, who was telling them, please, you know, don't forget what we did, you know, that kind of a thing. His last two words to his two best friends were, remember me. And I think that word remember is so important. They spent, his two friends spent the rest of their lives trying to tell this story, you know, and, and giving an example of what it means to, what it meant the then to movie's never up. been made about this. No, there've been, I made a documentary for PBS 20 years ago. And, and it's while I was doing that, that I just realized, you know, this is a story that changes people who hear it and it needs to reach a much broader audience which is especially teens yeah that's that's exactly right you know um, our generation my generation the x gen <laughs> gen xers mm -hmm. and boomers and that kind of thing we're going to be drawn to this kind of story for teenagers to see kids their own age that are standing up for what is right you know carl told me they were you know in their church they, they were raised singing that old traditional christian hymn do what is right let mm -hmm. the consequence follow and that's exactly what they did. You know, they stood up and the consequences for them were grave. So how did Carl, when he told you about, I watched him, I watched him take it all on and basically free me from the gallows. What was his feeling? Uh, it, it, it's interesting because I know that he had told the story before, mm -hmm. but when he was telling it to me, it was as if he was telling it for the first time. He was emotional. Uh, we had the incredible experience of taking Carl with us back to Germany to go into the chamber where his friend was executed, was actually beheaded by guillotine at the age of 17. It's now a national memorial in Berlin. And Carl walked in there and then just started weeping and talking to his, his friend and telling us this is where it happened. And he saved my life. That's interesting that that's what Carl said. He saved my life. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what point are you at for, for producing this? Yes. Yeah, so we, we partnered with Angel Studios, who brought us The Chosen. Yeah, they're uh, great. An, an amazing series. Yeah. Um, and we've partnered with them. And, and we're in the process now of, of crowdfunding. You know, that's what, the, that's what Angel Studios has done. They've kind of turned the traditional model of of uh, you know, raising money for and, and distributing independent film and series on its head, where traditionally, you know, the Hollywood version is kind of, let's make it first, let's, we'll spend our millions making it, and then spend millions more hoping that we can build an audience for it. They but are it, like, build an audience. Let's build an audience first, make sure that we have yeah. an audience. And once we know that, yeah. then we'll make it, then we already have our audience in place. And so that's where we're at now is we're with Angel Studios. We're just, we're, we're opening, it, opening it up so people can actually go to our landing page, to our website, angel.com slash truth, and, and, and show their interest. They can back the project. You know? okay. And I don't, you're not crowdfunding yet, but it's coming in the future. But you, yeah. anybody, if you are interested in this, I, I think this is a really important story to tell. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. I mean, I'm a I'm a sucker for the underdog who stands and in the end kind of thinks they they lost, but they really didn't. Because once you get out of their time, you know, there are memorials to him and uh, and uh, and people in Germany know yes. him. Um, you, you look at uh, 
what was the guy's name? I was telling you about the Mein Kampf that has his book played in it. It's, Stauffenberg. It's Stauffenberg. Yeah. Stauffenberg, most people don't even, didn't know before the Tom Cruise movie. Most right. people in America didn't know who he was. He's a national hero yeah. in, uh, in Germany, and he was executed. Um, we need to learn these, these stories about the Bonhoeffers and the, uh, the Hubeners and, uh, and the von Stauffenbergs. Uh, go to angel.com slash truth. Angel.com slash truth. And find out more about this uh, Truth and Convictions TV series. Um, and hopefully we will see it soon. When do you go back to Germany? Uh, well, we're heading to, to Germany for the 80th anniversary of Helmut's execution uh, this, in about two weeks. October 27th oh, wow. is when he was executed. And the German government is, is you know, holding a memorial service there. So we're going to be there for that. We'll be, we'll be uh, posting source to our socials and actually doing a live stream. Maybe we can give you a call. And, yeah, and let me there. know because I'd love to attach you to my socials too. I'd love to see that. Oh, that I would wish be, I could be there. But. That would be fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. God bless you. Angel.com slash truth. Angel.com slash truth. An important story that we share with our families and our kids. The best of the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. Um, I, uh, there was a story that came out today that I, I found uh, fascinating, uh, and that is Tulsi Gabbard. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party. Uh, it is now under the complete control of elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly, uh, cowardly wokeness who divide us by radicalizing every issue, stoke anti-white racism, actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms. Um, I wanted to talk to Tulsi because uh, um, I know her. I think we have the big things in common, the, you know, Bill of Rights, Constitution. Hey, I, I think America's made some really bad things. Let's, uh, let's learn from those because uh, most of it is really good if we can get it right. Um, but she, it's interesting also because she is leaving the Democratic Party. And she wasn't like when people leave the Republican Party. They're either really, really conservative and believe in things and they're like, this party doesn't mean anything. Or you've got the people who are just they're not really Republicans. They're more of a Democrat, conservative Democrat. Uh, and they leave. She was deep into the the socialist side of the party. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard joins us now. Hi, Tulsi. How are you? Hey, Glenn. Good morning. I'm good. How are you doing? Today? Good, good. So, um, first of all, let me just introduce it's the host of the Tulsi Gabbard show. Uh, and you can find out more about her at Tulsi.substack.com. So, Tulsi, why leave the Democrats and why now? Glenn, you know, you and I have had a lot of great conversations and so many of those conversations often I find have been centered around freedom. As you mentioned, the right. Bill of Rights, these fundamental principles our country was founded on, the things that are most important that, that really bind us all together as Americans. And when it comes right down to it, today's Democratic Party does not believe in freedom. They don't believe in freedom. Uh, and because they don't believe in freedom and because they are 
uh, you know, the party is led by fanatical ideologues. They're actively trying to undermine those God-given rights that we have that are enshrined in our Constitution. They are, they are actively seeking to undermine our freedom of speech. They want to control what we say and what we think. Uh, they are attacking our religious liberty. Uh, they cannot handle it when people dare to speak out or even question, question the things that they are trying to uh, impose on us as a society. Uh, and the way that they, they uh, you know, they foment fear. You see this cancel woke culture. Uh, they try to silence anyone who dares to disagree or anyone who dares to expose the insecurity, uh, their insecurity and the weakness in their arguments and narrative. And uh, for a whole host of reasons, and you can go and, you know, uh, read my statement on Substack or listen to, to you know, I, I spoke about this in, in detail um, on the Tulsi Gabbard show. But it really all comes down to uh, freedom, and I, I, can, I can no longer be associated with today's Democratic Party that is so actively anti-freedom. Tulsi, you know, you and I have talked many times, and I really respect you, but I have to ask uh, a couple of questions, and I want you to know these are honest questions. I'm not trying to do anything but really understand a couple of things. First of all, um, address the cynics that would say you're only doing this now because you want the publicity for your podcast or, you know, Substack. Uh, I'm I'm laughing a little bit as you're asking that Glenn, because uh, every time I've made a decision that uh, got, got some attention, uh, but was maybe politically not, expedient or the popular thing to do. That was very often the response. You're like, Oh, you're just doing this to get attention. It's never made sense. That's never been the motivation that I've had. Uh, I have done my best and continue to do my best uh, to make decisions, whether it be about policy or or other things uh, based on, on what's right. Okay. And uh, this was not a decision that I made lightly or quickly. Okay. But it's one that I knew uh, had to be done. Um, this is this is the part that um, that I'm really interested in because I think there are people that are leaving um, the parties, both parties, um, because they think they're both about bullcrap. Um, there are people like Bill Maher that are really uh, speaking out against this Democratic mob, um, and. He people will say, I think he's turning conservative. No, he's not. He's a classical liberal. He's a guy who believes in freedom, et cetera, et cetera. He just believes in more taxes and more government and everything else. So he's just being the kind of American that loves the country and agrees with the Bill of Rights and the kind of American that doesn't want to fight his neighbor, can live side by side. I I'm, yes. I, I want to ask you because you uh, I mean you endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2016, um, endorsed Keith Ellison. Um, you are somebody that has you're way down the rabbit hole to the left on your policies. Have you changed your mind on those? Or are you more like Bill Maher? What what what's happening? Uh, well, first, I want to go back to what you mentioned about, you know, being being a classic 
liberal. And I think a lot of people have forgotten or don't know maybe what that actually means. But if you look at if you look at classic liberalism, and this is something that you talk about, classic liberalism is about respecting individual freedom and right. individual rights. Uh, it's about uh, really living up to that ideal of a government of by and for the people. It's about civil liberties and freedom. And my gosh, today's Democratic Party uh, is is clearly so far off from the classic liberals of uh, greats of our past. Uh, you know, uh, I there I, I've never put myself, as you know, in, in a box. Like I've I've never mm-hmm. cleanly fit in uh, you know the so-called progressive box or the you know e- even as a Democrat, I've always been an independent Democrat, and so there are things that. Uh, probably I, I agree with some folks on or disagree with other folks on, uh, but ultimately what it, what it comes down to is, is the Democratic Party of today has literally gone insane. And the foundation of freedom uh, has not only been lost, it's something that they're actively attacking, uh, which, which makes it impossible to even have a conversation about many of the other things that, that affect us in our everyday lives. If we can't stand on this common foundation of, and principle of freedom uh, and, and recognizing our God-given rights enshrined in the Constitution, then there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, room to talk. So tell me what you think happened to the Democratic Party. As, as I see it, they gave it they gave in to the Marxists, but they're not really giving in to the Marxists. That's a, I don't know, that was a feint or something. I, I'm not sure what it was, uh, but it was a the useful idiots. Uh, and really what they've done is they've become this corporatist, uh, globalist uh, monster. What happened, do you think? You know, I, I can't tell you specifically what the cause is. But what I have experienced and what I've seen is, you know, going back 20 years ago when I first ran for state house here in Hawaii and I looked at, okay, well, which party do I want to affiliate with at that time when I looked and Hawaii's past, especially, I saw the Democratic Party as a big tent, inclusive party, respecting people who hold different views on different issues, but really rooted in the foundations of justice and fairness and freedom and being a champion for the little guy for the working class American. And that party is, is, is not recognizable uh, today. Uh, it, is a, it is a party of the elite, by the elite and for the elite. It is a party of, of warmonger, warmongers who are firmly in the grips of the military industrial complex. Uh, it, it's a party that has left the people behind. Mm. And, uh, and it's been taken over by these fanatical ideologues who... Um, are blinded by their ambition and desire for power. You know, I, I've, I've been through this uh, over the years, and I've seen how not only do they try to destroy people who disagree with them, even if you just don't say anything about whatever their cause mm. at the moment is because it changes, then their response is, well, you're, you are complicit. If you are silent, you are complicit. You're part of the problem. Then, then if you say, oh, you know, okay, well, fine, I, I, I agree with that. Makes sense. It's not enough unless you get out there with your megaphone and stand on the street corner and scream loudly and march in the protest and, you know, proclaim your allegiance to whatever their cause of the moment is, then it's not enough. They're not convinced. Uh, it, it, 
the, the goalposts keep changing. They don't believe in truth. And when people don't believe in truth and there are no boundaries to uh, what they are propagating in our society, which, which frankly poses a uh, great danger and risk. So I'm, I'm, taking and maybe i have this wrong but i'm taking it that you you know you haven't become a conservative but you still agree with some of the socialist big government things that you supported in the past so if that's true who are you going to vote for i mean how are you there's an election coming up you don't have to have names but do you vote for the party even if the person is good i no. the answer is no uh, I, I, I have always been of the mindset that we should not be voting based on party lines. We should be voting based on the character and values of a candidate and their commitment to the Constitution. Um, you know, there, there are different uh, issues or positions that, you know, through my experience, I've seen, okay, wow, well, you know, I, I didn't know that or I didn't understand that. And I think it's important to to always be willing to self-examine and say, okay, was I right on that or not? Or is there a better approach to being able to tackle the problems that we face? Um, you know, I, I was confounded when I was vice chair of the Democratic National Party uh, for a few years in Washington. Every time we would go to events during, during an election year and you'd hear the mantra, vote blue no matter who. And it never made any sense to me. It never made any sense. Because I know a lot of people who probably should not have ever been running for office, mm-hmm. but were standing up on a stage, getting people support and votes as people stood next to them saying, vote blue no matter who. The who matters. Character matters. Your values matter. Your commitment and who you're loyal to matters the most. The fact that we have gotten to a place in a country where we have so many leaders in Washington who took that oath that every one of us takes when you take public office, that oath to support and defend the Constitution, but they've thrown the Constitution in the trash or they're openly, uh, you know, stomping their feet on it in defiance of that oath that they took. Uh, this is where if you look at, you start questioning, why are, why are people doing these things? Why are they taking the position that they're taking? Why are they, why don't they believe in the rule of law? Why, how can they oppose free speech? Uh, it's it's because they don't believe in the Constitution, be, and and without that, uh, they're floundering, and there is no foundation to stand on. Talking to Tulsi Gabbard, um, and I I think it is really important. Um, I like Tulsi. I don't know if you would consider me a friend, but I consider you a friend, Tulsi. I do, I do, Glenn. Um, and uh, and while we, I'm sure, disagree on a lot of really big things. It is really important when somebody recognizes and says, oh, that's poison, um, that even though they're not on your team, per se, that you recognize that's a huge, huge step and important because we have to get back to being a country where we can live side by side and disagree with each other, but still like each other and respect one another. So Tulsi. Good job. Thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. Great to talk to you, Glenn. Have a great day. You too. Tulsi.substack.com. And uh, you can uh, find out more. Follow her on uh, at Tulsi Gabbard or TulsiGabbard.com. Na, 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 na.